It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, January 22nd, 2024. I'm Grinnell Scott. Not long before the polls opened in New Hampshire, what was a three-person Republican presidential primary race became two when Florida Governor Ron DeSantis suspended his campaign. That's a long time and a lot of hours to throw away in a lost cause. So in some ways, he might have just was wisely ended the pain earlier rather than dragging it out for no apparent purpose. I'm Mike Emanuel. Congress bought some time by passing a short-term government funding extension. Now many congressional Republicans are sounding the alarm about the crisis at the border, making plans to impeach the Secretary of Homeland Security. Biotis is creating a criminal enterprise in the United States. And I'm Carol Roth. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The first in the nation primary in New Hampshire, according to many, may have been the proverbial bell that tolled for one of former President Donald Trump's two challengers in the Republican primary, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. What we did not expect was for the axe to fall the day before the polls opened. Sunday on X, formerly Twitter, Governor DeSantis made what had been rumored official. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. Governor DeSantis, in his statement, also clearly hinted whom he has thrown his support behind in this Republican race. I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic, and his elevation of Anthony Fauci, Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. It is a seismic shift in the race to be Republican standard bearer that brought a quick reaction. I actually wasn't that surprised, and here's why. Because ever since his finish in Iowa, he's had such an erratic schedule of late. Colin Reed is a Republican strategist and a co-founder of South and Hill Strategies. You know, he's out, he's saying he's not giving up in, in New Hampshire, he's, but he's going straight to South Carolina and he's flying back and forth. It just felt like it was it, it felt like a campaign and it's death rattle. And, you know, there when when these these campaigns come to an end because for a couple of reasons, one, when the money starts running out and two, when the candidate and those closest to them conclude there's no viable path forward. And uh, Governor DeSantis alluded to the, the first, the second part in his in his farewell speech. And we'll, we'll soon tell about the, the finances. But all in all, this wasn't that surprising uh, in a development. So you feel that it was a combination of things that really spurred this on. Iowa, he finished second, but well behind uh, former President Donald Trump. And then, as as he mentioned, um, the path ahead, not just in New Hampshire, but in South Carolina, where he's trailing 
pretty significantly there as well. Yeah, and look, uh, Governor Haley took some flack when she said she had a two-person race coming out of Iowa. It turns out she was right. She did. She did, and now she's got it. And uh, I, you know, Governor DeSantis, look, he worked really. He worked his tail off in in Iowa. He he did. He saw those ninety-nine counties. He had the support of the governor. He and his family were there, and uh, it just wasn't working for him in that state. And in in New Hampshire, his politics, his style, it's not a natural fit. If he was gonna have the the the, the statement win, uh, he needed to have it in Iowa because he wasn't gonna get it in, in New Hampshire. He's polling at six percent in the in the real clear politics average. And coming, if he gets his, if he if uh, if he had a disappointing night on Tuesday. The South Carolina primary isn't until February 24th. That's a long time and a lot of hours to throw away in a lost cause. So in some ways, he might have just he took the, the was wisely ended the pain earlier rather than dragging it out for no 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 apparent purpose. Let's talk about the dynamic here because we had just really seen Governor DeSantis start to sharpen his attacks directly against the former president and. Uh, we have heard the former president refer to him as Ron DeSanctimonious on many occasions. Of course, when it comes to the former president of the United States, he tends to like you when you agree with him. How does this dynamic change now that in his statement on X, he said he would support the eventual nominee and went so far as to say he believes that will be former President Donald Trump? Well, one thing I think is that Governor DeSantis has a point on is he has, from beginning, been enemy number one from the Trump people, their teams, the outside super PACs, and he took the brunt of the spending uh, from the the basically the moment he won his reelection in November of 2022, when he was really the only Republican who had a really good night, and he deserves credit for that uh, until his announcement in May, all the way through the end, like he was the target of the, the team Trump, and that you, you one can believe that's only for the reason that they viewed him as the most credible threat. So from the the beginning, he had a target on his back and I, you know, his, his polling numbers and, and reflected that uh, in terms of what's happening now in the field, I, I think a couple of things you're seeing just this rapid coalescing of the Republican field uh, around former president Trump from uh, a lot of his former foes from years past, from people who have been critics of him in the past and to me, that seems as though it's driven by this sense of inevitability. But also, let's not forget, should President Trump beat Joe Biden in the general election uh, and should he become president again, he will be a lame duck the second he enters office. He can't run for another third term. And I know there's a lot of ifs we got to go to get there. So you got to imagine a lot of these politicians, they're, they're young, uh, they're ambitious, they're hungry. Governor DeSantis is 45 years old. He's governor of the state for three more years. Florida is the nation's third largest state. He will have a second political act if he wants it. And um, he and his team must have concluded that uh, it was better to begin that healing process now as opposed to continue to drag on with the misery of another month. I want to pick up on that second political act you just mentioned, because right after Iowa, it seemed that uh, when Vivek Ramaswamy pulled out of the race and then said the following day on the trail, appearing alongside the former president, he gave a full-throated endorsement to uh, New Hampshire voters uh, about uh, who he would be supporting moving forward. Do you expect to see that same kind of full-throated support from Ron DeSantis on the campaign trail for 
the former president? I mean, we'll see. His presence would not be terribly helpful in the state of New Hampshire, given Governor DeSantis's lack of support there. So it remains to be seen whether that that happens. But look, if 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 the Trump movement is truly a movement that will extend beyond any one person, and there's going to be people who need to come along and pick up the the pieces of it. President Trump is 77 years old. He's got a litany of legal issues he's facing right now. Like I said before, he can't run for a second term. So I think you're seeing a lot of politicians who are thinking this thing, this train is going to continue rolling on at some point. Let me make sure I have booked my ticket uh, or, or in a position to be, be a, a, a leader in that movement. So, you know, it, what, what Governor DeSantis does next, who knows? He's got a state to run. He probably wants to get some rest, get get out of the cold weather. But we'll we'll, we'll see where he goes and, 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 and what happens next. But I wouldn't expect to see him uh, in the state of New Hampshire the next 48 hours, that's for sure. Well, let's look down the road. Do we expect to see even the door crack just a little? for Ron DeSantis as a vice presidential hopeful? Well, conventional wisdom is the former President Trump needs to select a, a woman running mate, given his challenges with that demographic and where he's lost voters uh, so badly over his his time in office. So uh, we, we remains to be seen if 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 that holds. But don't forget, there's if should the, another set Trump administration form, there's going to be a slew of uh, cabinet positions and other uh, appointee appointments where a lot of these governors, senators who have won and rewon and guys like Governor DeSantis, they're term limited, so they're going to have to find something else to do when this current term comes to an end. And the idea of uh, being in a, a high level of cabinet appointment probably is appealing to some of them. Let's turn now to Trump versus Haley, which is where we are right now. You mentioned that Governor DeSantis really didn't have a whole bunch of support in New Hampshire to lend to Donald Trump to to perhaps widen his lead. But Haley is still campaigning strongly, hoping to get her share of Republicans and maybe drag in some independents as well. Does this narrow the gap? Where do you see going in New Hampshire, heading into South Carolina, where definitely the former president has a strong ground game, but Haley kind of has the home state advantage there. Does, although South Carolina was a, a big early state for President Trump the last time he ran in 2016. But let's let's focus on New Hampshire for a minute. It is. It's a. It's a state tailor made for a candidate like Nikki Haley, who's who excels at the retail politics, who's been uh, just a, a, an omnipresent figure in the state over the last year, who's got the endorsement and the s- support of the state's popular Republican governor and a political dynasty up there in, in Chris Sununu, and where independents can vote, and that matters not just because of her own message and where she, where where who she's appealing to. But also, let's look at what's happening on the other side. Uh, President Biden's name is not even on the, the ballot in the New Hampshire primary uh, in a couple of days because he of his refusal to honor the state's first in the nation uh, primary status. And so there's going to be a write-in campaign for him. But the, but the point is, that speaks not only to bad decisions he and his team made, but also the fact that if you're an independent voter and independent voters make up 40% of the electorate, so far and away the, the largest block, you've got literally nothing going on on their democratic side uh and if you want to make your your presence felt 
it, all the actions on the Republican side. And if you're an independent and, or an unenrolled voter, uh, you're you're you've got more to like from Governor Haley than you do from uh, uh, President Trump. So uh, New Hampshire's tailor made for her for her. Uh, President Trump's also very strong there. He won by 20 points in 2016. It was the state that kind of lit his lit the match that led him to the to the nomination. So he's always got uh, a, a, a strong, strong support up there. He's 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 got a good team up there as well. So uh, it's going to be close. Uh, I know there's been some polls that have had Governor Haley uh, within within spitting distance. Others have shown the former president uh, at a at a wider lead. And uh, I know the Secretary of State up there is predicting a huge turnout. And uh, a huge turnout will, uh, you know, that cuts both ways. Uh, logically, it would say that the more independents are coming out, more of them are breaking for Haley, and, and that's that's better for her. But uh, we also know that the the Trump coalition is is very enthused and very uh, motivated to get out for their guy as well. If Nikki Haley wins in New Hampshire, by some fortune wins in New Hampshire, goes down to South Carolina and wins her home state. Is it game on for Super Tuesday? Well, look, it's here's the thing. I'll answer the question, I promise. But in 2016, there were eight serious candidates competing in the New Hampshire primary. Now there's two. So if that scenario unfolds and if she's able to go into South Carolina with a compelling rationale for her candidacy to continue nine of those 14 states in in super tuesday uh have open primaries where independents can vote as well so yes there is and it's no longer president trump has always benefited from a wide fractured divided field it's not like that anymore it's one-on-one so that's 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 always going to be a play to his that's that's not going to play to his strengths now He's also a former president who's running as essentially the incumbent. So he should be clearing 50% in all these states. He did in Iowa, and it was an impressive accomplishment. But he's got to keep doing that. Otherwise, uh, the argument's very easy to make that you know half the party wants somebody else and not the sitting incumbent president. So uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to see. Uh, I think New Hampshire is going to leave a, a major imprint on the contours of the race as we go forward. The landscape is changing. We will see how it plays out as we go through New Hampshire and into South Carolina and beyond. Colin Reed is a Republican strategist and co-founder of South and Hill Strategies. Thanks for joining us on the Fox News Rundown. Thanks so much for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. This is Carol Roth with your Fox News commentary coming up. A partial government shutdown was avoided with the House and Senate passing a short term continuing resolution to keep the lights on in the federal government. Speaker Mike Johnson notes the GOP has a majority in the House, just barely. As it sits, the House Republicans have uh, the second smallest majority in history. We have uh, 218 right now, the 213 on the other side. So that's the reality where we are. We're not going to get everything that we want. House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries is not very sympathetic. The American people are frustrated that this do-nothing Republican Congress can't get out of its own way. Texas Republican Congressman Chip Roy is venting his frustration. 
That is precisely what we're doing yet again. Kicking the can down the road. That's what we do. It's what we do best in this chamber. What would keep Republicans unified in March would be a significant border component to a funding package. New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik is the House GOP conference chair. The speaker's priority in these negotiations is border security, and the House Republicans rally behind him in that priority as he engages in these discussions. And the reality is the House Republicans are going to stand up for border security on behalf of the American people. But Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre sounds like the White House is inclined to ignore the House in favor of the Democrat-led Senate. Making sure that we take care of our border is not too complicated. It's not. It's not. If people come together in good faith, as they've been doing in the Senate, we want a bipartisan agreement because the president understands that's how we're going to fix the problem. The crisis at the border is so bad, House Republicans are considering impeachment for Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. On funding, lawmakers bought themselves some time by passing that short-term extension. If we shut down the government, that shuts down everything. And it it, Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't give us the ability to have a winning strategy. Texas Republican Congressman Michael McCall is chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. I make the analogy, going home with your football, not playing on the field, you're not going to win the game. So... Uh, the, the problem is uh, military readiness, veterans pay. I was just with Border Patrol. Uh, for me to go home and tell them they're not going to get their paychecks is, I think, a, a really bad thing to do. I don't like CRs. I don't like the fact we're in this position. CRs are never good for our military either. That's why we have to get this funding piece done by March the 8th, in addition to the emergency uh, national security supplemental uh, package. Are you confident there will be a border component in March? As of Speaker Johnson at the White House, talking to the president, we made it very clear to him that we would not pass anything, uh, any of the other items, if it did not have a strong border security piece to it. And we're not talking about money, uh, Mike. We're talking about significant policy changes. That's what led to the crisis we're in today particularly Mm -hmm. the bill I marked up out of my committee, and that's the Remain in Mexico Migrant Protection Protocols, which really put us on the path to securing the border. And on day one, this president rescinded that. And and I think, you know, it's interesting, even the president, President Biden said, I know it's broken, it's got to be fixed, we need significant changes. So we're like, okay, well, let's let's do it. You know, look, we have leverage, and I know that, that Speaker Johnson's not going to put anything on the floor unless it has strong border security. A big issue dividing Republicans right now is um, continued funding for the war in Ukraine. What are your thoughts on that issue and how do you sell it to your colleagues who may be skeptical? Well, I really think, uh, first, that this administration is poorly uh, managed, I'd say mismanaged this conflict. Mm-hmm. Now, from day one, I would say, look, either you're in to win, put everything you got in there or get out. And they just had a slow drip, you know, of weapons going in, and it's it's delayed the conflict. And now we find ourselves in a situation where the, the will of the American people is starting to erode. But then I, I also look at the, 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 the big picture here, you know, Putin is aligned with Chairman Xi in China, aligned with the uh, Ayatollah in Iran, with North Korea. 
if we abandon our allies, uh, our NATO allies, like we did in Afghanistan, and we surrender to Putin and Russia and Ukraine, then where's the United States of America? Mm-hmm. We're no, no longer the leader of the free world. We are abandoning our leadership position that Ronald Reagan talked about so eloquently when he brought down the Soviet Union. So I think it'll be really dangerous, uh, but I've been a harsh critic of the way the administration has administered uh, this conflict. But we have to remember what happens in Ukraine directly impacts Chairman Xi's decision with respect to an invasion of Taiwan. It's already lit up the Ayatollah in the Middle East, who is now, you know, through his proxies, uh, invaded Israel. What about funding for Israel? Does it surprise you that Democrats are divided on that one? Yeah, there's a lot of talk about Republicans being divided, but I think the Democrats, you know, they're divided over Israel. You know, Bernie Sanders does not like Prime Minister Netanyahu. He doesn't think they have a right to respond to Hamas's ugly attacks. And by the way, when I was in Israel with the Prime Minister, he showed me the Hamas videos, which are just absolutely uh, horrific. Um, And they're also divided on anti-Semitism, right? I never thought in my time, I knew it existed in my father's generation, but I thought we were beyond that, but obviously we're not. And we're seeing anti-Semitism on the march and on the rise, and it's taking foot and it's taking a grip in the Democratic Party. Do you have a good sense of how Israel is doing in terms of this conflict, in terms of taking the fight to Hamas? Are they succeeding in that military effort? I mean, their number one goal is to remove Hamas from Gaza. This is not against the Palestinians. And in fact, Netanyahu told me, look, there are two groups that will not govern Gaza, and that's Israel and Hamas. It's up to the Palestinian people to govern themselves. And so I really think uh, in a matter of months, we're going to be talking about a post-conflict situation, a reconstruction and then what will be the governance in Gaza, uh, in addition, the West Bank? I know in my conversations with some of the other Arab nations like uh, Saudi and UAE and Jordan and Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, Saudi particularly is ready to invest a lot of money for reconstruction, but they want to guarantee that there's going to be peace. And they also want a security agreement with the United States and Israel. And we're really on the precipice of a yeah, this is a really bad thing happening, but we also have, I think, a great opportunity to move forward in the Middle East with something we've never seen before. Does it worry you that Prime Minister Netanyahu is putting aside the two-state solution at this point? Well, I mean, on one hand, it's his country. And on the other hand, I will tell you, our allies, and particularly uh, the Arab nations like the Saudis, would like to see some sort of self-governance with the Palestinians, uh, whether that be a a Palestinian state or how that takes place. But, uh, you know, I I know this has been a debate for ever since Israel was created in the 1950s. I I don't see how you can resolve this without giving them some sort of right of governance, they being the Palestinians. We just have to make sure that terrorism has been eradicated uh, from the Palestinian people. Uh, the Hamas is the enemy of the Palestinian people and the enemy of Israel. 
And one thing I think we should all agree on is that Hamas has to go. In the House, there's been an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. There's also been an impeachment effort against Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas for the situation at the border. Do you believe that there will be a vote to impeach Mayorkas when you guys come back to session? I do. Uh, we, we've been having hearings on this for the last year. Uh, we are planning to mark up articles of impeachment on January uh, 31st. Uh, and then it will go to the floor. I think this is something that the American people, they want this, they deserve it. This one man has been the architect of destruction and he's really teared apart the fabric of our nation. It's one of the biggest human tragedies I've seen in my lifetime, really of epic proportions. This is really a direct cause and effect by his change in policy and the Border Patrol Chief Ortiz agrees to that. In fact, that's what he told me. Under the Founding Fathers, an abuse of public trust, a violation of public trust, uh, an injury to society was sufficient for impeachment. So we are planning to go forward with this. I think, you know, if anything, the American people deserve this. We had, a, we had two mothers testify last week one who lost her daughter to fentanyl, and my my artist didn't show up. She felt very insulted. And the other one, her daughter was raped by an Honduran who t went to M MS-13. I mean, my artist is creating a criminal enterprise in the United States. And where do these young men and women go? They have no legal status. So the, the young men go to MS-13. And the young women get sex trafficked. It is one of the saddest things. And it didn't have to happen, you know, and we need to stop it. He is the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman Michael McCall of the great state of Texas. Grateful for your time today. Safe travel, sir. Thanks, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, Democrats are kicking off an abortion rights campaign on what is the 51st anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision. Vice President Kamala Harris will be in Wisconsin, highlighting the fallout since that decision was reversed in 2022. Tuesday, the Republican first in the nation primary gets underway with New Hampshire residents heading to the polls. The DNC last year moving their first presidential test to South Carolina, although the New Hampshire Democratic Party will push ahead, prompting calls for a write-in campaign for President Biden. Thursday could see the nation's first execution using nitrogen gas. A federal judge paved the way earlier this year for the state of Alabama after ruling that the use of this new method is not unconstitutional. Friday. Oh, looks like this beach was a little too much beach for you, Ken. If you can't get enough of it, Barbie returns to theaters for one week only. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Tom Graham.
after a big win in Iowa, former President Trump and his rivals move on to the New Hampshire primary. And Fox News Radio has full coverage Tuesday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern, with a one-hour preview show hosted by Brett Baer, Martha McCallum, and Dana Perino. Then, Jared Halpern and Jessica Rosenthal bring you the results as they happen, along with Josh Krausar and a team of Fox News reporters and experts. Download the Fox News app and click Listen Tuesday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's Democracy 24 on Fox News Radio. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Carol Roth. What's on your mind? Have you been to a restaurant, hotel, or other service provider recently and it seems like nobody cares? Do you wonder why Gen Z has pioneered trends like quiet quitting, lazy girl jobs, and soft saving? Well, it all goes back to the death of excellence in America. And unfortunately, it's been an intentional shift. America has always stood as a bastion of freedom and opportunity. The backbone of this has been individualism, which celebrates, incentivizes, and duly rewards people based on their merits, creativity, work ethic, and unique talents. But there's been a progressive campaign to systematically destroy individualism and the unparalleled positive outcomes that accompany it. Today, according to a recent ABC News Ipsos poll, only 27% of Americans believe they can still achieve the American dream. In their pursuit of mediocrity, progressives have also worked to supplant the individual with a collective. Now, instead of being judged by what you accomplished, by your character and actions and the things you can control, you're judged as part of a group, often one that you don't get to choose. Your immutable characteristics as part of a collective are now your measuring stick, a sick game that creates more losses than wins, as well as inferior outcomes across the board. It's no wonder that individuals are demoralized and don't seem to care about anything. It's by design. Incentives drive outcomes. Yet students who are high achievers are seeing their advanced classes taken away and colleges rejecting them based on not having the, quote, desired immutable characteristics. Moreover, the government and Fed, fiscal, monetary, and other policy has manipulated the ability to achieve the American dream, rewarding the already wealthy, not based on merit, but based on political clout and connections at the expense of the rest of Americans. It's not hard to wonder why Americans, particularly young people, would be demoralized and not want to go the extra mile. There is plenty of blame to go around. Parents that enable a mediocre existence and overcoddle their children are to blame. The school system's to blame. The government and Fed are to blame. Corporations are to blame. These entities have been captured by progressive cultists who have a variety of perverse reasons for pushing their agendas. But the reasons and the blame don't matter. What matters is what we do now. We need to return to an America that values a hard day's work, one that incentivizes people to share their unique capabilities, and one that keeps the playing field fair and even for everyone to be able to participate in the American dream should they put in the effort. We have real models of what happens when the pursuit of excellence is thrown by the wayside, That is an existence of mediocrity. But America cannot exist as mediocre. The likely outcome will be far worse. America owes it to its citizens and to the world to return to not only the pursuits of life, liberty, and happiness, but to the pursuit of excellence. That is the path to return prosperity for all.
This is Carol Roth, best-selling author of books, including You Will Own Nothing. You can connect with me at carolroth.com slash news. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.